Well, good evening, everybody. Thanks for coming tonight. Well, it's church for you anyway, but uh, we're happy to be here, and uh, thanks for allowing us the blessing of being able to be here with you and share some updates about the ministry and what we're what we're doing here. So we have a ministry that God has given us. It's His ministry in Ecuador. It's called Light in the Darkness, based on First Peter two nine. It was the scripture we started off with. Um, the first thing we'd like to do is just uh, show you a video, which is basically a tour of the education center that we have, and then we'll come back up and talk more about that. Hello, uh, my name is Regina Weston. Uh, we're missionaries here in Quito, Ecuador. Uh, we're at the foundation, losing to Nicholas. Uh, we'd just like to take the opportunity to show you guys around the facilities. And thank you all for being supporters in your prayer, uh, financially and emotionally for us as well. We have the second floor here on the ter- uh, this building, and then the terrace above. Uh, we have 15 rooms, several we've converted into larger rooms. Show you those. So, we just want to show you the education room. Dan showed you the outside just a little bit, and we'll do a little bit more of that. Here's our education room. Um, we have 15 different stations set up for the kids to come in and do school. Um, what they really do in here is tutoring, and um, that's a couple of the things that are happening now. Um, our kids are just now going back in person. Um, after two years, so a lot of the kids are not here right now because they're actually in school in person. Classes here go from 6.30 in the morning to 12.30 in the afternoon, and then again from 1 in the afternoon to 6.30 in the evening. So we don't always have all the kids here at one time now that they are going back in person. Um, we have a teacher that takes care of me. She's down there actually tutoring uh, on the whiteboard right now, and the kids come in here and do different things. So the kids on the floor are doing puzzles and they learn all kinds of different things um, besides just work. This is the room we use for many different things. We do family counseling in this room as well as in the future we'll have more of kind of like a nursery or pre-K uh, room for the kids to, the, the little kids to come in and learn and do their, their school work as well. This room here is just our office where we keep a lot of the school supplies that aren't ready to be used yet or not needed yet. Um, thank you for the groups that have brought all these supplies down. We're very appreciative. This is where we'll also sit and do our, a lot of emails and a lot of computer work as well. So here at Light in the Darkness, we do five different things. We share Jesus, the love of Jesus. We share it through education and psychology, food, and a little bit of medical. Um, this is our psychology room. This is our psychologist, Mirabelle. She's actually doing some tutoring right now, as opposed to psychology. We wouldn't be in here if she was doing some psychology. Um, but uh, Mirabelle is here full time with us and helps us a lot with the kids and the parents and a lot of their problems. And so. Uh, they get to walk through life and heal through some of those processes too. So this is our storage room. Here we call it a bodega, uh, but we keep many of the tools that we use here, uh, the ones that aren't being used right now. And um, we also we keep our extra food supplies and toys and different things for the kids to use in this room. Here we keep the extra food as well. Uh, so it's not cluttering up the kitchen. And, uh, so we're about ready to restock again, but we have plenty of eggs and fruit at the moment. So this is our kitchen. Um, a lot happens in here. Um, we feed breakfast and lunch every day, uh, Monday through Saturday, basically. Uh, we also do snacks um, throughout the day. We, Like you saw in the bodega that Dan showed you, um, we had lots of fruit. Well, the fruit stays in here for the kids to be able to come in and get. They can have as much fruit as they want, as long as they eat it all, so they eat a piece at a time. We also give the kids vitamins um, each day um, with lunch. And um, we have a cook, Rigo, and he is also a counselor, a drug and alcohol counselor. So he's starting classes with parents on drug and alcohol abuse 
and how to have a family and um, family counseling with them. Maribel works with our younger kids, or with our kids, and Rigo's going to start working with the parents. We also have a new volunteer, Jose, uh, who's just started to come and help Rigo with that as food has changed on the schedule. We feed at 11.30 and 1 because some kids go to school in the morning and some kids go to school in the afternoon. And so we have two feeding times for lunch and a breakfast as the kids come into the foundation if they haven't eaten. So um, lots of food is prepared in this uh, area. So this is our Bible room. Um, you can see that we have the days of the week up here and different charts where the kids are learning different verses and the lessons in the Bible. Um, this is Christian and Andrea. They're our campus pastors and they do our discipling here. So they sit with the kids one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two, -on -two, sometimes little groups and teach the Bible. Um, a lot of the kids are coming with absolutely no Bible knowledge and so um, Andrea and Christian are doing a great job of teaching them songs and um, scriptures and memorizing the books of the Bible. And um, they pray with the kids each day. And every time we come in here, right now, school is over. So um, there's no kids here. But every time we come in here, it's really cute because they're either playing a game with them and teaching them about Jesus or looking through the Bible, showing them different things. And they, um, this weekend, we're having a graduation. And the kids have done a 12-step 12 12-step 12 program with Operation Christmas Child, and it's a discipleship program. And so we're having a big graduation this weekend, and that's what we've been preparing for. So excited to have Christian and Andrea with us, and they do a lot here for us. We're very thankful. And just the rest of our, our Bible room. This is Marcelo. He is our master construction person. We call him our maestro. Um, as you look around here, most of the improvements and building things that have been done here have been done by Maestro, Marcelo, and myself, and several other people as well, as well as volunteers that came down during this past summer. So, he also helps Mondays and Fridays with Bible and just being with kids as well. Uh, so it's been a great experience for him and also for us. So this is a, a larger room in the foundation where we do, where we feed lunch and breakfast, of course. Uh, we also have larger meetings. We do movie nights in here as well, uh, one Friday each month. Uh, so as you can see, the, the room's a little larger, but it, it serves our purpose very well here. Uh, here we have Jenny, she is our social media person, so the things, you, the videos you see put together and uh, the website that's coming together that we'll be launching in the near future, Jenny's put that together. Uh, and then we have Jeanette, Jeanette is our administrator, she's our right-hand person here in the foundation, so when we're not here, Jeanette's in charge and takes care of things for us. She also helps us with so many things, uh, with Spanish and just the business of the foundation as well. We're on the third floor of the, the building that we're renting. Uh, here you can see behind me, we've built a soccer cage. Uh, we play a lot of games in it, and during the rainy season, now that we have the roof on it, it's a beautiful place for us to be able to play. Um, for a long time, we lost so many soccer balls that uh, we probably could have paid for half of this. Just kidding. But uh, it's, it's been a blessing to have a, an area where we can play without worrying about losing our balls or damaging it our neighbor's property with the balls falling down. Here to the right we have an apartment that our campus pastors will be moving into uh, once we finish renovating it. We still have to replace the windows and furnish it. And, uh, so, But you can see just around the top area the areas we get to play and, and use for different purposes uh, for the foundation. So we'd like to just take the opportunity to say thank you after showing you the foundation and, and the facilities that we're using right now. Uh, it's been a real blessing to us. It's been a real blessing to the kids and the families that we serve. Um, we just thank God for the opportunity to be here and to, to make this happen and to provide uh, hope uh, to the children that we minister to. And thank you for being a part of those miracles that are happening with the kids. Um, we're so excited to see them growing in their faith 
and to coming to know the Lord. And um, it's only possible because God's put a big team together. Um, that's us here, our staff here, but our support in the states also, and um, and our support here in Ecuador as that's growing also. And so we really appreciate everything, and God is doing really cool things. Um, so we just give all the glory and praise to Him. Well, thank you very much. And now uh, we still have a, a PowerPoint that we'd like to go through and talk about with you, uh, just to further illustrate some of the things that we're doing. On. Okay, I think I have the mouse turned on. So, losing tinieblas is light in the darkness in Spanish, and there's several different ways you could say that in Spanish, but we, we stuck with this one. So, but, let's see. So, this is our, our little family that we have down in Ecuador. Uh, we have actually three kids. Two of them are, are grown and have their own lives here in the States. Uh, our son, Zachary, is 25, and our daughter, Victoria, is 22. Uh, she just graduated from Liberty two weeks ago, Liberty University, so we're up to be able to celebrate that with her also. Samantha is 14, and she is living in Ecuador with us. She is at some friend's house tonight. As she hears this over and over and over, and she said, don't make me do it again. So she is with some friends tonight. So there's a little shot of Ecuador. You can see where we are in South America and in relation to here in good old Alabama. Um, and we live in Quito, Ecuador, which is the capital of Ecuador. It's a population of about 3 million people. Uh, it's uh, up in the Andes Mountains. We're also at 9,500 feet elevation. Um, so it's, it's pretty high. It's almost twice as high as Colorado or Denver, the Mile High City. So it gets a little, gets a little winded up there. Some, of, some people have been there and can understand that aspect of it. So, but you get acclimatized to it, and it just becomes no different than any place else. So we come back here to near sea level. Well, I think we're about 600 feet here, and uh, I can run a 5K in 25 minutes. <laughs> So we, we talked about what light in the darkness does. Um, so we're just an organization. We share the love and hope of Jesus with women and children uh, who are at risk of being exploited through trafficking in Ecuador. Um, we kind of tended to focus initially on sex trafficking, but there's labor trafficking and different things that happen um, with the older children, uh, especially the boys, uh, but it's, it's pretty widespread and rampant. Uh, 75% of our kids in the center are Venezuelan. And starting in about 2016, um, since 2016, it's estimated, they don't know an exact number, but between 16 to 20 million people have left Venezuela to escape um, the government's issues there with President Maduro and, and what he's done in the country. Uh, so we'd like to go through a little bit more detail about some of the things we do. So at the Foundation, the first and foremost thing we do is share the love of Jesus Christ. I'll let Gina talk about when uh, people come to the Foundation to ask for help and what we go through with them. So one of the things I get to do is I get to greet families that are coming to ask for help. Um, the administrator that you saw in there, you saw our whole staff. That's how big our staff is. Um, and we have between three to seven families come in every week asking for help. Um, we can basically have 27 kids in this center right now um, because of COVID restrictions. We still have lots of COVID restrictions, still wearing masks, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, so we can only have 27 kids in the center right now. And so we're maxed at this moment in time. But people keep coming in and asking for help. Um, so it's really a sweet thing. Um, like I said, the administrator and I sit and listen to the stories. So I always ask them their story, let them share their story. Um, most of them have walked from Venezuela. Um, so they get there, they're malnourished, they're tired, they've seen a lot of stuff. Um, it's been traumatic for them. Um, I also ask them how we can help them, how they think we can help them. And, um, and then I get to talk. And the first thing I always tell them is what I have for you is hope. And I am not your savior. There's only one Savior, and this is who he is. And so we always start off with the gospel. Um, that's the hope we have for them. 
Um, we also give them food because it's really hard to hear um, about the gospel if you're starving. And so um, we have them stay for lunch, and we have the campus pastor go through it a little bit more with them. Um, but it's so sweet to sit there, and they just, every single one of them so far have just listened. Like, that is the hope we have. And um, not that they've all accepted Christ, but um, they've all gotten the gospel as they've come in. And then we go on to tell them the other things that we do, and that right now we have to put them on a waiting list. So right now we have 70 kids on a waiting list. Um and um, some families we kind of help on the side <laughs> without the police knowing. <laughs> so you can see in the pictures here, the one on the left is one of our movie nights. That's uh, mainly the children. A lot of some of the parents come, but some don't. Um, so we show Bible story movies to Disney movies to to break it up. But we're always pulling. Um, a message from that to present them uh, of what God does and how he works through individuals, people's lives and how he can work through their lives. The picture on the right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So when we lived in the States every year, we were part of doing operation Christmas child boxes. You put your boxes together, you send them off and you go, well, you pray over them and you go, I hope they go to somebody cool. Like, you know, like I hope they get the gospel. And so this last year we were able to receive the boxes um, so we had 99 kids come from the neighborhood. Um, technically at that point in time, we were supposed to have like 15 kids in the center, but, um, we have national police friends that God has provided for us, which I'm very thankful for. So they actually came and kind of stood at the door for all kinds of reasons to make sure that we were inspected, which was a big deal. Um, so we had 99 kids and able to share the gospel with them and hand out the boxes. It was so fun to see them so excited about the different things that are in there. Um, it was really cute and just how excited they got to be able to do that. 99. Um, it would have been easy to have about 200, but like when we're supposed to be maxed at 15, they kind of had us cut it off a little bit. Um, but the police were so happy. Our national police friends are Christians, and so they were able to kind of like keep things at bay for us, which was really sweet. I'm really thankful for that relationship. Um, what we didn't know is with Operation Christmas Child, on the other end, so these kids had to go through a 12-step, or they were supposed to go through a 12-step discipleship program. And so we had about 30 kids, I think, that went through it at different times. Um, I think about 20 of them finished it. But um, at least they heard the gospel that day. It was a really fun day. Especially it was the first big event that we'd had after COVID. And so um, that was super fun for me. So if you're wondering what some of the best things to put in these boxes are deflated soccer balls, but don't forget the pump and the needle. <laughs> the deflated soccer balls aren't much good otherwise. So this is our campus pastor. His name is actually Christian, which is pretty cool. And his wife helps a lot with the kids uh, in presenting lessons to the children and teaching them also. But we can explain a little bit when we get to the education part how things work, but in the afternoons and, and in the mornings, we rotate the kids through through sessions so they don't stay too bored. Uh, they get uh, Bible time, uh, time to work on their homework, uh, game times with me, or, and activities that range from cooking to carpentry. So, But during the, these Bible times... It, um, Andrea and Christian are just wonderful with the kids and presenting the gospel and coming up with unique ways to keep them interested in it because sometimes in life, the kids just don't want to hear anymore. They don't want to do anything. They've been through all kinds of different circumstances and situations, but they, they do a great job of keeping them interested and keeping them going with it. I think what's been really exciting also with it is... Um, we do not force the families to accept Christ because that's, we can't, right? I mean, that's the Holy Spirit's job. We're not the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's one of the first things they ask us too is, well, if we don't accept Christ, will you not help us? And it's like, no, we're here to walk through this with you. Um, and so it's step by step. And so, but what's been really cool is I think we're at about 75% of the kids have accepted Christ. And we have one cute little girl who's eight years old. They're all tiny for their age. So, you know, if I'm going eight years old, it's like they're all tiny. So she's eight years old. She's standing in line when she first started coming um, at lunch. And she'd stand there and she'd look around to see if any adults were looking. 
And then all of a sudden she'd go, pow! And she'd punch the little boy in the face next to her. And then he would jump on her and there would be a fist fight, okay? And they're like rolling around on the ground and, you know, they're like 25 pounds. So you pick them up and you, you pull them apart and you're like, hey, we don't do this. So in October, Victoria accepts Christ. And um, immediately we see that she's not punching kids in line. And we're like, oh, look at this. Um, and um, it's really cool. About a month later, her mom comes in and goes, what did you do to my kid? And I was like, could you give me a little context? I mean, like, are you mad? Or like, where are we at? And she goes, no, she's been so nice. And she hasn't hit her brother. Like, she's totally changed. She goes, what happened? And I was like, well, she accepted Christ. And this is what's happening. She goes, whatever you're doing, don't stop doing it. Um, So it was a neat opportunity just to remind the mom. She's already heard the gospel. Let's go through it again. This is the change that we're seeing. It's it's really is Jesus is changing your child. It's not necessarily us. It is Jesus. So the other thing we do, uh, which is one of the main draws of people, is education. We're not a school. Uh, but we provide the avenue and opportunities for them to be in school. So during COVID, they're estimated about 60% of the kids in the country did not attend school for nearly two years because they didn't have computers or access to the Internet. While school continued online, they didn't have the opportunity to go. So when we opened the center for with the school year in September of last year, all of our kids that came, uh, we would rotate through the computer classes uh, computer because their classes were at different times of the day to get them through their classes. Uh, they were able to do school online in that way. And many of the kids, when we started in September, couldn't read. The majority of our kids are between 8 and 12 years old. We have them ranging from 19 down to 4 um, with our preschool program and with our accelerated pro- or with the accelerated program. We use the Ecuadorian education system because we're by our foundation uh, guidelines, we're not allowed to be a school because we're not certified. But in that, um, they had the opportunity to start school. All of our kids can read. Now, some of them, there's a couple that still just sound out each each letter phonetically, but they're getting it and they're starting to understand that. So that's been a real encouragement to our teacher and to our staff as well. The... Um, we also work with the actual schools, and the teachers are begging us to take more students because the ones we have seem to be accelerating where others are not. But this just the opportunity they have to have a one-on-one tutor or two-on-one uh, because during the school time session, we have two to three of our staff in there with our teacher helping that. So the kids were able to go back to school in person February 7th of this year for the first time, and that's really opened the eyes of a lot of people of how far behind this is and how damaging to education these COVID lockdowns have been. Um, some of you know some of the things we went through in Ecuador uh, with the lockdowns. When it first started, we were restricted to our houses only, and one designated person could leave the house once a week for five hours to get food or anything else you could do. Our daughter, it was illegal for her to leave the house for nearly six months. So when we call back to the States, hey, how's it going? Oh, I, I, I can't go into Chick-fil-A. I have to wait in line outside. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's terrible. So, but that's how things started with us. After six months, things begin to lighten up a little bit. But still, uh, our restrictions are pretty hard. Just two weeks ago, they lightened the restriction to where we don't have to wear masks in the car by ourselves, or we can be outside and six feet away from somebody and not have to mask, uh, wear a mask, uh, but it is still required to enter any public buildings, uh, to enter grocery stores or anything else, but that's kind of how things went and how much it has set back the kids in education. So providing this avenue, people are just really trying to become part of the foundation, but we are limited in that size and scope right now. So I'll let Gina talk about our psychologist, Maribel. So this is our psychologist, and um, she is probably the busiest person on campus. Um, A lot of the kids have come with trauma. Um, All of them have some kind of abuse. Um, Like we said, most of them walked from Venezuela, and then all that came with that. 
Um, she does a lot of family counseling. Um, we only have two families that have both the mom and dad in the house. Um, and so she's doing um, actually marriage counseling with both of those families because we're hoping those two families also make it. Um, and then, so that makes it where they're all single moms and we have one single dad. And um, um, all of them are struggling. And so she is a busy woman. She does parenting classes. We've started parenting classes on Saturdays um, once a month. So to incentivize, incentivize them to come, um, we give them a little bit of like a take-home food bag, you know, like rice and beans and stuff like that. So there was just one of those this last weekend. Um, but Mirabelle helps with that. She's also gotten all the kids registered through the foundation with um, the medical system. Um, so we have public medical system for Ecuadorians. But the Venezuelans that have come can't get medical care, and they can't afford it privately. And so, you know, they're going without medical care. So we help a little bit with medical care also. And part of it is she getting them into the public um, the public system through the foundation. So all the kids have been seen now by doctors, and our neighbor is a doctor, and she's come and helped with a couple things. Um, we also help with a lot of, there's a lot of teeth problems because they haven't been brushing their teeth because they're trying to survive and walk across the country. Um, remember that there's Colombia between Venezuela and Ecuador, and it's in the mountains. Um, so we've um, a lot of dental care that we've worked with the kids. And just two weeks ago, um, since actually we've been in the States, all the eyes were checked for the kids. So um, half of them got glasses just a couple weeks ago. We found an ophthalmologist that would do it for $2 a kid. Um, and then glasses were like $30 a kid. Um, they gave us this fabulous deal for the foundation. And so we were able to get glasses for the kids that needed it for they can continue on in their education too. Um, uh, here she goes. Um, school, we're back to school again. Um, so we've had lots of different people. I'm always amazed on what God does. Like, I'm always like, you did it again. Um, and I know that sounds ridiculous and you think that you would get used to that after a while, but I just don't. He just continues to show up all the time. Um, so one of the, one of the little boys, he's, he was eight months old and he had a stroke. Um, and it was shortly after they were in Ecuador and they don't have medical care. So, um, basically he's been just living with the results of it. And, um, our new neighbor, the lady on the bottom with, in the yellow room, um, she was over, she's a brand new neighbor. She's a North American missionary also. Um, and I was telling her, I said, I just, he's, this little boy's two years old now. I said, I really need to find a PT or an occupational therapist that can volunteer for, the foundation. And she's a homeschool mom of eight. And she goes, do you know what I did before I had kids? And I was like, no, you're my new neighbor. And she goes, I was an occupational therapist at John Hopkins University. Oh, and now you're my neighbor. Um, and <laughs> she has been coming and volunteering. And um, now the kid is walking. He's able to use his hand. It's very exciting. Um, come to find out, three of her kids have dyslexia. So in this picture, she's actually doing, um, she also got trained in dyslexia program here in the States. So she is um, actually working with some of the kids that have dyslexia also. So I just keep going, okay, go ahead. Um, why am I surprised? You know, one of our neighbors is a doctor. And she's like, oh, I'll volunteer for you. And I'm like, Great. Um, so it's just amazing because every time we turn around, it's like, I think we need, and then I'll get a phone call going, uh, do you need help with, and I'm like, yes, we do. <laughs> we do a lot of food at the foundation. Um, so we feed the families. Um, anybody that comes in, they get at least one meal. Um, even people that are just coming in asking for help. So on a regular day, we feed 40 people on just a regular day. Um, sometimes that can be up to 70 or 80 people. Um, we feed breakfast when they get there. Um, then we do a snack, and a snack is all the fruit you want. So we can get 20 bananas for a dollar. So, you know, if a kid wants 10 bananas, well, eat 10 bananas. I really, like, it's all good. Um, and then they have lunch, um, and it's a, always a hot, larger lunch. Um, they leave, that is a full meal, because that's the biggest meal of the day. And then before they go home, we shut the center at 4.30, um, 
before they go home, they could eat all the fruit they want again. And, um, and we do vitamins at lunchtime. So it's been really cool because just in the matter of a year, we've seen the kids grow in stature, their hair is looking better, their nails are looking better, they're just looking better just all the way around because of all the vitamins and nutrients that are going into them. So that's been super exciting. Um, I did not know that you can eat so much fruit. Like, I didn't know a four-year-old little girl can eat like eight apples. Like, I didn't know that could happen but I do now. Um, so it's been really cool to see them grow in that. So some of the things we also do, as Gina talked about, is we do parenting classes with the parents. Uh, their parenting skills, discipline, ideas um, are different. This would be a good way to say that. Um, so we do a lot of that. Mainly the other goal of our, our ministry is the prevention of trafficking. So educating the parents to, to the traps that um, these traffickers will use against them or to persuade them or to deceive them into letting them take their children, um, we educate against that. We also team with uh, other organizations and ministries that uh, already have the programs in place so we don't have to recreate the wheel. We provide a place, the location, and an audience for them to come and work with. Um, it's we're all God's hands and feet there, um, and they're they're wonderful programs. We we obviously check them out to make sure biblically we're we're aligned before we allow them to come and use the center to provide their classes. But these uh, groups are so we let Project Protect Me, which works throughout Central America and in South America in educating on the dangers of abuse and how not to go through that. You'd be amazed at how many people don't realize that what they're doing is actually abuse uh, to their children and those around them. So it's been interest, interesting. It's been eye-opening for us uh, to understand more in the culture and what's happening in, in that region and area. Some of the other things we're doing is with 75% of the people we work with being Venezuelan, um, many of them are there illegally. And the reason is, um, a couple years ago, President Maduro of Venezuela uh, had his military go through the voting records, and anybody that did not vote for him, the military was sent to their house demanding that they sign a document saying that they support the president. If they refused to sign that document... Um, they lost their ration card for food. They lost their medical benefits. They lost their jobs. So it was a point for them to either stay there and starve to death or to walk out of the country. There was no other options for them. The other wonderful thing that this man did is when they got to the borders, crossing checkpoints, the military confiscated their passports, documentation, education, proof of education, ID, so now they cannot legally immigrate to any country because they can't prove who they are. So we have a lawyer that's volunteering with us and working with getting, um, working towards getting documentation for these people again. Um, that can usually be about three to four hundred dollars a person just to get some of the process started, so that they can become legal residents and get work permits and be able to be legal in the country. Um, so that's, that's one of the projects that we're working on on the side that we just recently started after we learned of some of these plights and situations. So this is just one of the sweet pictures. Um, somebody happened to catch a picture of one of the girls praying to accept Christ. Um, they were walking by and they saw him praying. They're like, oh, and that's sweet. And they took a picture. Well, we found out later that was actually she was praying to accept Christ. So one of those rare moments you get to do. Um, Dan and I end up doing a lot of the administrative stuff and making sure things are happening and moving forward and working with the staff. Um, Dan gets the joy of doing some of the games sometimes in the rotations. And when I get really stressed out, I'm like, I need to paint with the kids or something. So <laughs> that's what's happening there. Um, that's one of the joys is just sitting and playing with the kids. And that's probably besides them growing in Christ, because that's obviously why we're there is eternal life. But one of my favorite things is just seeing them be kids May that be that they're playing with hula hoops or they're running around screaming like banshees or if they're like, 
<laughs> like they're um, jumping on me like a monkey or whatever it is. Um, it's just, that's one of my favorite joys is just seeing them be kids. Um, a lot of times in their homes, they don't get to just be kids. And um, so super thankful for that. We do a lot of games with them. Um, games, really, you learn a lot in playing games. You learn how to share, you how to learn to take turns, all that stuff. I didn't realize Candyland could become a fist fight. Um, that was a new one for me. I've been playing with kids for 25 years, but I've broke up more fist fights on Candyland than anything else now. Um, and we do a lot upstairs in, um, we call it a concha, not for lack of a better word for it. Um, we have rainy season, so it rains for six months. And then we have sunny, dry season where it's sunny for six months. Um, so the, the sun is super intense. So this gives us a shaded place or a place to protect us from the rain. And we do all kinds of things up there from dressing up like princesses when I get to play with the four and five-year-old girls. And then the 12-year-old girls come over and go, you got one big enough for me? And I'm like, sure, if you could fit in it, go for it. Um, so it's really fun. Or they play so- a lot of the boys play soccer and stuff. Some of our future goals um, with the parents and helping them to learn how to provide for themselves in a country where they are foreigners, um, even though they speak the same language, it is slightly different, uh, the way the words are used and different things. But we want to be able to help them start micro-businesses. And then, like I already talked about, that first starts with getting them legal documentation because if we gave them food carts or sewing machines, or paid for cosmetology school, or something like that. Some of the things that they're fully able to do, um, if they don't have the necessary permits, those things can be confiscated from them. So we have to start with the legal documentation side in order for them to to be able to retain that and and to move forward with that. But we have a mother uh, who, she is a seamstress. She's very fast. She's very good. Um, We had some videos of her sewing. It was just like a machine. It was an amazing thing. But she's being exploited and taken advantage of. She makes face masks for COVID and and other things. She gets paid $0.08 a mask to make a mask. She gets paid $0.10 to hem pants or to repair a garment. She works 10 to 12 hours a day every day. Uh, She gets two days off a month just to be able to support her kids, and she's trying really hard to do that. Um, But buying sewing machines for her, she can run a business out of her home, um, the apartment that she's renting, uh, and more than provide for her kids than what she has right now, and she would be able to be with her kids during that time. So part of the the process is, though, uh, it's all up front. It's on the foundation but we require them to pay 50% back, so there's ownership to it. It's not just a handout, and they really value what they have much more than just being given things. Um, so that's one of the some of the future goals we're, we're having there. Now, we talked about that we're limited on our size and scope of how many kids we can have in the center, and it's because of the location we're in. Uh, COVID doesn't help us. Um, Staff is is also part of that. But what you're looking at here is an an abandoned school that's been abandoned for six years that is owned by the government. We have the opportunity to get this facility, uh, and it would be rent-free for 50 years. We just have to repair it and then maintain it going forward with that. With this facility and the current restrictions we have, we'd accommodate 200 kids 100 in the morning for the first session and 100 in the afternoon. And, of course, with that comes more staff. Um, But the prospect of getting this building, which is in the same general area, 15 minutes from where we currently are, would just really greatly increase the impact that the ministry could have for these kids and these families. Uh, With Light in the Darkness, we... Like ourselves, we fall under, we come under Orphanos. They're our donor management um, organization. They are also our missionary care providers and support. They're wonderful people. Um, through Orphanos, which is in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, everything donated to the missionaries is 100% passed through. They're all missionaries themselves, and they raise their own support to cover administration costs and things, so they don't take anything from what's donated to the missionaries. 
So the couple ways that can be donated is to go online at orphanos.kindful.com. Um, we're seeking a, a donation base for the ministry itself. Ours is personal and it's separate from the ministry. So there's more clear accountability and transparency uh, in all the reporting that goes with that. Uh, you can also mail a check to Orphanos. The address is there. If you would like that information, uh, we can provide that to you further. We are very grateful uh, for the support that's come from this church and this body. Um, it's been amazing to see what God has done in the lives of the kids and the changes, not just in their health, but most importantly, their spiritual life and the aspect uh, the impact that's been made in these lives is just tremendous. Uh, like Gina said, it's about 75% of the kids coming to the center since um, July of last year have accepted Christ as their Savior, and the evidence is in the fruit in their life. It's not just a number. It's not just, ooh, they accepted Christ. See you later. No, there's discipleship happening five days a week for all of them. Um, Saturdays is a special day for extra tutoring and for our older kids to come and do their testing. They're in accelerated education programs. But we are extremely grateful for this church and what you guys have been able to accomplish through your donations uh, for these people. Eric, do we have a couple minutes? We can take a few questions. So I want to say thank you to Megan and her family, though, for praying for us every night. Taylor, what you got? It's good to see you. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, you mentioned your national police friends and how cool that relationship is. Are those the same people you were feeding during the COVID shutdowns? Exactly. So uh, in the first ministry that we were a part of up on the mountain, they would stop by. We, we made friends through that. Um, and one of them actually moved the sector that we're working in to continue to work with us. Got, he got a transfer to continue to work with us, which is super duper cool. So yeah, so those are the ones that really take care of us um, a lot. Same same guys, so it's really neat. Um, so one one thing about the area that we're working in, I don't think we mentioned, is our Ecuadorian friends are like, why do you work in that area? It's dangerous. And we're like, well, God didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And so um, our Ecuadorian police officers, the ones that take care of us on so many levels, are like, you're out of there by dark. Don't stay after dark. And so um, the center closes at 4.30 in the afternoon for we can all be home. It's dark at 6 o'clock every single day of the year because, remember, we live on the equator, so everything's equal. So, yeah, but good question about the police. Anybody else? Yes, sir. What is the draw to Ecuador? Or like the people who are fleeing Venezuela, are they going to multiple places or are they specifically coming to Ecuador? Um. Some stay in Colombia. You have to go through Colombia to get to Ecuador from Venezuela. Uh, but they are going all the way down to Chile. So Peru, Bolivia, Ecuador. So they're, they're estimating that it's about 3 million people. Venezuelans have stayed in Ecuador. Others have passed on through or stayed in Colombia. Sometimes I think they just get tired. State, you know, like instead of going on further to Peru or Chile, where there might be more opportunities. Because depending on where they left from Venezuela, just to get to Quito, some of them have walked 2,500 miles. The difficulties or the negative things that they experience through that is that is that common that like if you make that trip, you're going to yes. say those hardships. Yes, um, this might be. A, so there's really no place in Venezuela that's cold. It's at a much lower altitude. It's very tropical. So as they leave Venezuela and come in through Colombia, they have to go up into the Andes Mountains. Some of those passes are at 19,000 feet. And then they come down through the Andes Mountains into um, Quito and Ecuador and going further south uh, because otherwise it's just jungle and it's impassable. So a lot of people are not prepared for the colder weather. Like in the 40s at night, and if it's raining, a lot have passed away from hypothermia. And there's nobody to take care of those individuals, so they're just kind of pushed to the side. So they walk through that uh, coming through. Andrew, did you have a question? Yeah, what, is, uh, what are you going to have to do to get that new building? And would you use both buildings, or would you transfer everything to the new building? 
we would transfer everything to the new uh, building that we have in place right now. Um, it would be extremely difficult for us to maintain two logistically uh, and staff. Uh, so we would transfer everything to the other side and um, look at helping to transport families from the current facility because all of them are in the local neighborhood. Um, but it's about a 15 to 20 minute walk from where we are now. Rent-free, you could get, you could be able to get for rent-free for about 50 years. It's the place that you're currently in, you have to pay rent for it. Correct. We only pay $500 a month in rent where we are right now because the uh, the owner of the building is just thrilled to death that we're there doing ministry in his building. Um, so it's not astronomical, but it's $500 a month uh, plus utilities. Uh, so with the other side, it's a, it's a building that's owned by the government and... Uh, something we didn't mention is we are registered as a social services foundation. Uh, governments in South America can change overnight, and usually missionaries are the first ones kicked out, um, like what happened with Venezuela in some situations. So being registered as a social services foundation, we're able to present Christ and do Bible studies and things like that. We're just not allowed to have a church on the facilities. Uh, so that keeps us under the radar for that aspect. We wouldn't be targeted first if the government regime happened to change to a negative outlook of Christian services. But uh, being at the other facility, uh, we can make a contract with the government. We just have to apply for it. We are, Hopefully we'll have our tax ID number for Ecuador uh, by the time we return in June. And then it's just a matter of submitting the request. They'll be more than happy to, to give us the building and let us use it. And then we have to fix it up first. Yes, we have to repair it and fix it up. So that for me, that means rewiring the entire building. Um, faulty wiring and irregular voltages will kill the computers. So that's the, one of the first things I'd have to do. So we're thinking, we don't know for sure, Andrew, because we haven't been in the building, done a whole investigation and all that good stuff. But Dan's estimating it's probably about $60,000 to get it up to speed. Um, we'd also love to have teams come down and help with it. Like, because all the walls are going to have to be painted. I mean, it's been abandoned for six years. So, you know, like have people come down and help with that in the process too. It would be awesome. Anybody else? What you got, Megan? I was like, you ask a question. I just got Nope. Stretching out. <laughs> How far do you all live from the education center? Yeah, so like we said, the area is not the safest area, and we have a 14-year-old with us. And so um, on a Saturday morning where there's no traffic, um, it's about 35 minutes. Um, on a work day, which is, you know, when we go down there, um, it's about an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. Um, it's a city of 3 million people. And it's in the valley. Um, Dan said we're at 9,500 feet, and people think we're up on the mountain. We're actually down in the valley. It's, it's all volcanoes around us. So there's only a couple roads that go north and south. And so it's in the center part of the town, and we live on the north side of town, um, which is a little bit safer for us. And um, the the neighborhood we live in is, is really pretty cool. I just want to share this real quick. Is Back in the 70s, um, HCJB, um, which is a radio station that many people know, um, that started in Ecuador back in the 1920s. Um, it's broadcasted all over South America, all over the world, really. Um, they bought this property, this land, a northern part of Quito. And since then, they've only leased, leased to, sold to, or rented to evangelical Christians. So our neighborhood is eight little houses, well, eight big houses, eight big houses in a negated neighborhood that's kind of like off the beaten path, and it's all evangelical Christians. Um, and after being down in the historical rough part of town all day, when the gate opens up and we see the mountain in the background and all the flowers, and it's like a little piece of heaven for us. It's a little piece of tranquility for us um, and sometimes I'll come home and I'm, I'm crying from work it's it, it's not easy um, and one of my neighbors will come out and go let's pray and I'm like Jesus you are just way too good to me so um, and our daughter is safer there and and everybody in that neighborhood if they have kids homeschools so it is super cool because she has her own little homeschool community right there um, also
Yes, ma'am. What is church like down there in comparison to American churches or the missionaries? For us, we go to an English-speaking church that was started by HCJB uh, during the 1920s. Uh, so in that church, it's very international. Uh, there's more than 30 countries represented in the church. Uh, so it's cool to be singing praise to Jesus and hearing all the different accents and vocals. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, but within the church, we first have the English service. And then, of course, afterwards, there's this service in Spanish. There's a service in Quechua, which is the indigenous language. We also have a large group of Chinese immigrants. So there's a Chinese church service. We also have a large group of Iranian immigrants. So we have a, a Farsi service after that. Or some of them kind of work in conjunction with each other, just in different parts of the building. Um, and then we're about to start a French-speaking service for the Haitians that have immigrated to Quito or to the Ecuador area. So it's very international. It's very mixed, um, but it's also wonderful. It's very exciting to see those things happening there. I'm laughing because we have five different um, worship leaders, and so each Sunday they take a different, you know, a different person. So one of the guys is from Haiti, one of the guys is from Ecuador. There's a North American, so they're from all over. And we have like a Filipino that's singing and a Chinese that's playing the drums, all this different stuff. But it's so cute because sometimes we just don't all pronounce the same thing in English, right? And so. There's a couple of them, it's probably not funny, but I giggle every time we say some of the words because they're just not said the way we would say them as we're singing them. So it's kind of fun sometimes. I'm like, yes, today we've got this one. <laughs> so instead of go tell it on the mountain, it's go tell it on the mountain. <laughs> so any, any other questions? All right, well, we'll be around for anything that you want to ask. There, we have new prayer cards. They're magnetic to stick on your fridge on the back counter there. Um, if you would like our newsletter and you're not getting it, uh, it's almost every month. Sometimes it's a month and a half. Uh, sorry. But uh, give us your email address and we'll get you on the, on the mailing list for that. Well, yeah. Just kidding. All right, let's pray. Dear gracious Father, I do praise you for the opportunity to be here to share what you're doing there in Ecuador through the people you've assembled um, for light in the darkness. Um, be it our staff there, um, those of us here, and the team members here that support us through prayer and, and financially, dear Father. And I just ask that you continue to encourage this church. Lord, lift it up. Give them wisdom and discernment uh, in how you'd have them lead, reach this community, uh, and sharpen each other, Lord, as the teaching and discipleship that happens um, in the, within these walls and under these roofs, dear Father. Um, guide the elders and the deacons as they move forward uh, in this congregation as their heart grows for you, Lord. Give them passion and desire uh, to spread your word to their neighbors, those all around, uh, whether the, I know the passion and desire is already here, Lord, but give them um, the boldness, give them the ability to, to seek you and to share your light uh, in all the areas here as well, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you extend to us each and every day. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask these things. Amen.